I'm Grant, an engineering and technology leader who will share the secrets of IT with you. Listen up, because we're about to get into it. Hey everybody, you probably know that I live in America, in Dallas, Texas, and that means Thanksgiving is coming up. So if you celebrate this holiday, I want to wish you a very wonderful week ahead, and I hope you're able to celebrate with your families or loved ones like I plan to do. Since it's November, that also means I'm celebrating my three-year anniversary at Salesforce. It's a great place to work, and for Thanksgiving, I'm thankful that I even have a job right now. I recently posted on TikTok the uh, layoff statistics in big tech. We've got Meta laying off 11,000 people, Amazon laying off 10,000, Twitter, which we're going to talk about in depth today, laying off nearly seven-eighths of their workforce. I also did a uh, TikTok post about that one. We'll talk more, though. Crypto.com laying off 2,000, Stripe laying off 1,000, and Lyft laying off about 700 people. So yeah, if you've got a job right now, uh, that's something to be thankful for. I don't think that this trend is going to continue forever, obviously. I think it's a short-term thing and it's going to reverse, but I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know how long these layoffs are going to continue or how long it's going to take to get positions reopened so that we all have jobs again in tech. But I do know that there are lots of jobs still available for engineers and not every industry is going through layoffs. Big tech is just one of the hardest hit areas right now. So if you're impacted, I hope things turn around soon. Just keep checking LinkedIn jobs and don't lose hope. Like I said, uh, there are other non-Twitter, non-software-oriented companies out there that still have software engineers on staff, and some of those places are not hit as heavily as the the purely kind of intellectual property, ethereal software development companies. There are plenty of other companies out there that have like tangible products that they sell, and their software engineering staff keep their website up and running and their operations running. So there are still plenty of other jobs that are not being laid off right now, but anyways. So yeah, I'm on TikTok. Because it's my three-year anniversary at Salesforce, I'm due for a corporate phone refresh. As part of that process, I'm going to be unhooking my personal phone number from the company account uh, because I didn't realize that their device management policies would block TikTok and a lot of my iCloud files from being used. So it's annoying. And even though they pay for my phone, I like having control of my device more than I like the extra $100 a month. So that's something uh, for you to note if you get the option of having a corporate phone issued to you by your employer. They'll control the phone. They do actually do a really good job of keeping your private stuff uh, and corporate stuff separate on the phone. But again, there's still some annoyances. So I'm happy to be back on TikTok. Uh, I started it a long time ago, but it's a denied as part of the device management policy. So I had to, to get rid of it and it made it difficult to use an iPad to do TikTok and my phone to do everything else on uh, Twitter and, and the likes of social media. So anyways, follow me on TikTok at Drydenman, D-R-Y-D-E-N-M-A-N. I post about tech, try to make a joke or two, and I share advice on there too. So it's fun. Go ahead and check it out. Now, in this episode, I wanted to talk about Twitter primarily. It's been in the news for a few months, ever since Elon Musk tweeted that he wanted to buy the company. But ever since the deal closed and he took over, things have been moving outrageously fast. So by the time I post this episode, it's quite possible that Twitter is going to be long gone. I'm going to try and get this one released quickly. So if all my details here aren't 100% accurate, it's just because I was moving fast in my research. So feel free to correct me or double check my details and let me know where I have things wrong. But this is the story as I understand it. So let's review a short timeline of what's been going on with Twitter. Think back to March of this year, 2022. 
That was when U.S. regulators said someone should really monitor Elon Musk's tweets. Before Musk even placed a bid for Twitter, SEC regulators urged a federal judge not to let Elon Musk get away with tweeting whatever he wants. If you read his tweets, you know how he appears to have knowledge that his tweets affect the stock of companies and cryptocurrencies like Dogecoin that he's tweeted about before. There's sort of a game with him, it seems, and manipulation of stocks and crypto is something that the SEC would obviously want to do something about. If you don't know what the acronym SEC means in this context, I'm talking about the United States Securities and Exchange Commission. The mission of the SEC is to protect investors, maintain fair, orderly, and efficient markets, and facilitate capital formation. So they deal with stocks and cryptocurrency, kind of crypto. I think that's still a new and emerging technology, and governments around the world aren't really sure what to do with it right now. But that's where the SEC fits into this picture here. Shortly after, U.S. regulators urged a judge to monitor Elon's tweets, Elon stated that he was giving serious thought to building the next Twitter. On April 4th of 2022, Elon Musk bought a 9.2% share of Twitter for about $2.9 billion. To provide context here, at his peak, Elon was worth about $302 billion. So this 9% stake in Twitter would only have been worth about 1% of his total wealth. So fast forward to today, and he's only worth about $200 billion now, so he lost about a third of his net worth from January um, as of today. But we all know these calculations of net worth for people like Elon Musk are a little fidgety anyways. Most of his assets are tied up in the stock market, and the stock market goes up and down, and he tweets things and manipulates stock prices. So it's all a big game, but those are the numbers if you care about it. $200 billion as of today. It's probably obvious I'm not a financial guy or an investor at all, so don't take my advice on this uh, clearly. But uh, Elon's net worth is made up of of stock and his ownership in the six companies that he co-founded largely. So when I bring up this number, it was $300 billion and now it's $200 billion. The point I'm trying to make is, theoretically, that should be tied to how successful investors think his companies are going to be. So spending some of his money to acquire Twitter, at the same time his net worth going down by a third, what that means to to translate this is that investors are losing confidence in Elon Musk's ability to create and run successful companies. I think that's the the takeaway I'm going for here. This is not a discussion about Elon Musk's net worth uh, or what he's investing in or anything of that nature, just the confidence that investors put in him as a, a person to lead a company. But back to the timeline here. So Elon bought a 9.2% share in Twitter. After the purchase, Elon Musk was appointed to Twitter's board. That's cool, right? Psych. Later that same week, Twitter's CEO announced that Elon Musk would not, in fact, be joining their board. Next, a Twitter shareholder sued after Musk failed to promptly disclose his huge investment in Twitter. The claim was that the delay allowed Elon to buy more shares of Twitter at a lower price and cheat sellers of Twitter stock out of their increased profits. And this is where it starts to get interesting. Elon Musk offered to buy Twitter, the whole company, for $43 billion. And this all happened in about 10 days from his 9.2% purchase. This is still April of this year. He was willing to pay at uh, that time, it was 54.20, or, you know, whatever, the, the running joke of 4.20. It was $54.20 per share sticking to his 420 meme uh, to buy 100% of the company. The following day, Twitter's board announced in a press release that the company is adopting a limited-duration shareholder rights plan. 
What this does is show that Twitter is clearly trying to protect Musk from buying the social network. This type of behavior is called a poison pill in M&A or merger and acquisition language. The goal is to prevent outsiders like Musk from gaining control without negotiating with the company's board or paying a negotiated buyout price to all shareholders. Remember, Musk didn't negotiate with the board. He stated what he was willing to offer, and then he filed the necessary paperwork with the SEC. Twitter's terms were that if any single entity or person acquires a company's stake of 15% or more, then all the other shareholders would be able to acquire additional shares for half their market price, or the company could distribute an extra share for each one already owned, while not doing so for the party that triggered the provision, i.e. Elon Musk. What this does is make it very painful for a person to go above 15% ownership because they would trigger the poison pill. If that was too detailed of an explanation for you, then the short version here is that if Elon Musk tried to buy more than 15% ownership in Twitter, what would happen is all of the other investors would get free ownership in Twitter or a 50% discount that Elon Musk would be unable to take advantage of. So it'd be very painful for him to go over 15% ownership. Next, Twitter's board met to discuss Elon's offer. They actually did accept it shortly thereafter, and then they started locking down their source code to prevent employees from going rogue and sabotaging the platform. Lots of key leaders started to leave the company at this point in time. Less than a month after the announcement, Elon tried to back out of the deal entirely by claiming the platform had more bots than he was aware of. Twitter said the platform had 5% or less bots, but independent analyses said it could be 20% or more. And this is when people started asking whether or not Elon really even wanted to buy Twitter. Elon also got sued a second time for the claim that he manipulated stock prices for his own benefits. Two months after the deal was agreed upon by all parties, Musk tells Twitter he's backing out and killing the deal because of the bots. Twitter sued him. And then he lost. And then he has to take over. And on Halloween Day, he immediately fired the CEO, the CFO, and the head of legal policy and trust and safety. So we seem to be off to a good start here for him. Oh, he also dissolved the board of directors and announced that he's going to lay off 25% of Twitter's 7,500-person workforce. I'm going to pause there and let that sink in because that's a lot of stuff that happened in one day. Now, with Elon Musk being the sole owner of Twitter, making all of this radical change in the very first day, you could take it one of two ways, right? It's like, oh crap, a quarter of the company is going to get laid off. But maybe it's not all engineering. Elon Musk has a history of laying off uh, entire uh, public relations departments and human resources groups and uh, mostly like marketing people. So I don't know how much of Twitter had those, those types of roles in it. But 25% could be something that's in line with what Elon's value system is as an engineering leader. This may have had an effect of making the engineers excited or, you know, people seeing a positive outlook here. It's like, great, we got a leader. He's got a vision. He's making changes and we're off to a great start on the first day. I know I'm not impacted. But wait, did I say 25% of Twitter was going to get laid off? Because the next day, Elon says... It'll be 50% of Twitter that he's laying off. He also decided to start charging for verification. You know, the little blue check mark that important people get by their names. It's always been kind of a thing that people covet on Twitter and uh, no one's quite sure how they get 
the verification check mark or not. The, the rules seem very hand wavy and fuzzy. So Elon says, hey, this Twitter Blue program that we've been running that's going to be five, that was $5 a month and got you like the ability to edit tweets and do other things on the platform. If you sign up for Twitter Blue for $8, not five, you'll also get a blue verification check mark. So this threw Twitter into a lot of chaos at this point in time because Elon started making changes in the moderation policy and the rules for banning and unbanning accounts. So when people started to buy the blue verification check mark, they also started to change their names and uh, pretend that they were the accounts of major companies in the world that were actually verified before. So like Adidas, for example, I could just change my name to Adidas and then start tweeting with a blue check mark next to my name, things that I would think would be funny if Adidas were to say on Twitter. And uh, so you can see how that would cause a bunch of chaos for Adidas that was actually verified before. And then me with my purchased blue check mark pretending to be them. So there was a whole thread about how to moderate these people, uh, asking them to put parody, you know, like the, the word parody in the, their account biography and in their names so that people know it's a parody account and not actually the real verified Adidas brand. And then Musk had an idea to introduce a second check mark that what would say like seriously I'm the official brand check mark and not just the verified check mark. So then that idea got scrapped because it's obviously confusing to have multiple check marks for different reasons next to an account on the platform. So it's a uh, it's a little cleaner today than it was back on uh, November second when all of this stuff first started to go down, but it's not much better. But uh, I will say it was pretty funny because there's this company called Eli Lilly and Company. And what they do, they're apparently a large producer of insulin. And so somebody pretended to be the Eli Lilly and Company account and they tweeted that insulin is now free. And so that sent the world into chaos because people actually thought this was the real company saying, hey, insulin's free from now on. So at the end of the day, the company is uh, still going to charge an arm and a leg for insulin, but their owner uh, CEO did at least say that, you know, this is probably a, a good thing because it indicates that we should probably bring the price of insulin down. So there we go. Good for you, man. Glad that uh, those tweets have made an impression on you. So you can see how Twitter is in very much chaos and disarray uh, once Elon comes in and starts making radical changes to the product and policies and such. He doesn't really have a background in running a company like Twitter. So it's uh, been interesting to watch, honestly, his learning curve here as he starts to get things under control and figure out the ecosystem. At the same time, as all of this stuff was going down on Twitter, a uh, an alternative popped up called Mastodon. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. I don't know if you believe in it or not, but I am actually on Mastodon now. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a second. So back to Twitter. So in the timeline, we are now at Wednesday, November 16th. On this day, Elon demanded that the remaining 50% of Twitter employees commit to working long hours at high intensity for the foreseeable future, or they could be paid out three months of severance and let go of. They had until 5 p.m. that day to reply to an email of his or be terminated by default. I gotta say, it would have sucked to have been on PTO that day. Now, you couldn't simply reply to his email and say, yes, sir, I would like to remain employed. You also had to prove that you were worth retaining. So I, I believe there was a story here about printing out your 
most important code and showing it to Elon and, and kind of explaining it so that he could be sure that you know what you knew what you were doing and you were valuable. So there's a, a thread there. I'm not going to track it down here, but as of Friday, November 18th, Twitter headquarters have been shut down entirely, as in like the physical building. But word on the street was that 75% of the employees uh, had chosen to take the severance payout and leave Twitter rather than stay. So let's do some math here. If Elon laid off 50% of Twitter, and then he had 50% of the employees remaining, and only 25% of those remaining employees replied to his Wednesday email saying they were willing to work long hours at high intensity, then he has about an eighth of his workforce remaining, or 925 people to run a company that used to have 7,400. I hope those 925 employees have the ability to do their own job plus the jobs of seven more people. And it was at this point on Friday that Elon announced that everyone who still wanted to work at Twitter needed to come into the office by 2 p.m. with justification that they were worth retaining. It seems like he was essentially saying, okay, folks, I'm serious this time. You can still work for me if you come into the office by 5 p.m. Now, you may or may not agree with my assessment to this point on uh, his behavior, right? Like, okay, folks, I'm serious this time. Uh, that's my take after reading all of the news. What I'm giving you here is a very compressed version and uh, kind of lashing out and acting like a petulant child is on brand for Elon. I hope everyone will at least agree with me on that point. And so what we see here, at least uh, in my opinion, I don't want this to be a Grant Rails on Elon episode because I really don't care a whole lot about him as a, a person. What we've got here is a conflict between his value system and my value system. So I don't agree with any of the decisions he's made here. I am not Elon Musk, and I make my decisions based on my own value system, which is uh, apparently pretty perpendicular to how Elon makes his own decisions. So I think I said it earlier, but uh, I don't know if I would run Twitter any better than Elon Musk is, but he at least is making decisions and moving in a direction, and I can appreciate that. I don't think he's evil. He's principled, if a little chaotic for my taste. I think what he's doing is unkind, and his ego does seem to be very inflated if you have read any of his tweets about this whole situation. He is Twitter's biggest troll. And all of those things are a turnoff to me. So if I seem sarcastic about this situation, that's just because if I were in charge, I'd be doing things very differently. And so, I, you know, whatever. If I get $43 billion one day just laying around that I can buy Twitter as a joke or as competitor at the time, then, uh, then I'll do that. And we'll see what I can do with a company that Elon Musk has uh, found himself in charge of. I do wish Elon the best of luck in running Twitter, and I hope his engineers and staff enjoy the ride they're on. It's going to be tough, but that has never scared Elon away, and that's just kind of the way it is when you are running a startup company. At this point in time, Twitter is now a startup company. It's been taken private, it's got brand new leadership, and they're moving in a direction as of this morning that's very different than the direction Twitter was going in before. So, like I said, uh, this episode or this uh story of Twitter changes from day to day. And this one episode has taken me two days to record. So when I woke up this morning to finish the second half, and what I realized is that, oh, look, there's a whole brand new set of news coming in. And so today, the information is that Elon wants to turn Twitter into a do everything app, just like WhatsApp. WhatsApp and the like in WeChat, I believe have been very successful over in Asia as a do everything 
kind of a, an application or a platform. And so I think the direction at the moment is Elon wants to turn Twitter into that for the Western side of the world here in America, where it will do chats, video calls, text messages, all sorts of things, probably even being able to pay people. Uh, he does have a background at PayPal, right? That was another one of the companies he started. So I could see all of these things merging together into the Twitter app. But we'll see where he can go. He is down to a skeleton crew of people remaining. And uh, I don't think he'll have any difficulty hiring people. Elon doesn't seem to have that trouble. People are still flocking to work for him and in his companies. I think that they are much more wanting to work at a company like SpaceX or Tesla, one where the mission of the company is one that people resonate with on a personal level. Because if you work at Tesla, you can take the environmentalism approach. If you work at SpaceX, you can take the space exploration and helping humanity colonize Mars approach. I mean, those are big lofty dreams and goals that we've got that will really resonate with people's identities, I believe. But when you look at Twitter, it's more of just a luxury application, like communications at that level. I don't see the same kind of a mission tied to Twitter as a company as I do to SpaceX. Like, that's a very easy thing. It's like someone will be willing to take a massive pay cut to work at NASA, for example, because of NASA's mission. So maybe Elon has some ideas for Twitter and making its mission something at the same scale as SpaceX or Tesla, but time will tell. This saga is still unrolling as we speak. Now, we're basically caught up with Twitter at this point, so I think it's okay to go down a rabbit hole. I had mentioned a an application called Mastodon earlier, so I do want to talk about it uh, because it is very similar to Twitter. It's been around for a couple of years already. Uh, so it's not like this brand new thing that just popped up a couple of weeks ago that someone built in response to Elon taking over Twitter. This is still a platform that exists. I signed up, I do the, the equivalent of tweeting on that platform and I actually do like it a lot better, but I can also see how it's got a steeper learning curve than Twitter does. But, uh, I want to talk about it as a platform and, and kind of how I see it operating in, in the world. So do I think Twitter's dead? Not yet. Uh, do I think Mastodon is the new Twitter? No, I don't. I do think it could be complimentary. And if Elon does a very poor job with Twitter, Mastodon could take over. Uh, and we'll talk about that in a second here. But let's start off with Mastodon as a thing. So it's a little confusing to get signed up, but once you're in and get used to the nuances of the platform, you'll quickly realize that it's a much kinder place to be than Twitter. The people you talk with actually engage with you and have something worth saying. On Twitter, I don't know if you've used it much, but I have. I've used it for many years. I always felt that someone was trying to project an image of themselves, be their own brand and marketing person. They were products, not people, and sometimes I wondered if the people I was tweeting with were even real people at all. I've used Twitter uh, since 2013 or nine years, and so I have a lot of experience on the platform as a user, running ads, promoting myself, and building brands across about 10 different accounts. So I'm on there, this podcast is on there under my personal name, but I have multiple other accounts, I've worked on multiple other like startups and side projects in my day, and Twitter's always been one of the places I go to to just kind of shout out into the ether, hey look I exist. Because if you can get some followers on your Twitter account, tie it to your website, it helps you pop up in the search engine optimization or SEO rankings. So that's been my approach to Twitter. It's been a useful platform for that uh, purpose in my life. Now, taking Twitter, setting it to the side, 
So, so Mastodon is a distributed social network as opposed to Twitter, which is all centralized into one ecosystem. So instead of a battle royale where everyone sees everyone else's tweets, Mastodon is like a bunch of smaller Twitters all talking to one another. Another way to think of it is like the blockchain, but for tweets. When you join, you sign up on a server, which is like a small Twitter. And instead of having a billion people, you'll have like 10,000 or 100,000. You can pick a server by your personal interests if you want as well. So let's say you're really into soccer or video games. Then you can pick a server where most of the people on there like to talk about those subjects. Or you can do what I did and pick a general server where everybody talks about whatever they want to. Once you join, you'll see all of their tweets, which are called toots, and I hate that term, but it's, what, what can you do? It's what the platform calls it. If anything kills Mastodon, it'll be the fact that these things are called toots and not tweets, or something ridiculous like that. But anyways, you'll see all of the toots from your server in your timeline first. Then you can see toots from the whole network called the Fediverse for Federated Universe, but this global view is much harder to get a real-time feed of. It's the combination of all these smaller servers or like these small tribes of Twitter all talking to one another. It's big, it's distributed, so every server has to process all of the Fediverse in its own time. So the servers that have better hardware than others are going to process faster. Some have less people, which make less overhead for processing. So if you pick a good server with a, a person in charge of it who knows what they're doing, then it, you'll have a better experience than if you try and host one on your own for five bucks and don't really pay attention to it. So you can do all of these things with Mastodon, which is part of why it's so powerful. Uh, the, the distribution of operating this thing. It means no one person's in charge of Mastodon. Everybody's kind of in charge of their part of Mastodon. This is both what's so powerful about Mastodon, but also what makes it probably more difficult for people to understand and therefore adopt. So I've seen some of the toots on my server take hours to become visible just because so many people joining in the server traffic, but you can see it. And the best way to find topics of conversation is through the hashtag. So on Twitter, it would push stuff to you that it wanted you to see through its algorithm. And that was actually a change that Twitter underwent because it used to be you would follow people and you could find things based on hashtags, but it wasn't so in your face about promoting content that it thought you wanted to see. Mastodon does not do that. There's actually no mechanism to do that because everything's decentralized. So you can't basically create an index of all the tweets and show people what they, you think they should see unless you have a centralized view of all of the toots that are in the Fediverse. And that may be technically possible, but at this moment, I don't think Mastodon is going to go that direction for one, but also I don't think that feature has been built. So it may or may not be possible. I'm not in charge of Mastodon, but I just know how it operates today. And so the best way to find information you're looking for is through the hashtag search. That lets you control what you see. You have to seek things out more on Mastodon than you had to do on Twitter. Um, so it starts off a little slower, but once you follow people, once you know the hashtags that are going around that you're interested in, then it makes it a whole lot easier. And today, after you know just a day or two of playing around with it, I see a bunch of content that I find very interesting. And like I said, when I'm uh, talking to other people, I, I start a thread on something they've said, they respond to me, they're very kind. It feels more personal, and I like that. 
Uh, Twitter, again, was like a battle royale with everybody shouting, uh, look at me, listen to me. And Macedon is definitely not that way. So it's quite refreshing. And a bunch of uh, celebrities have left Twitter and they've started their uh, accounts on Mastodon. Uh, large, big names like George Takai and uh, Kathy Griffin, and I'm sure there are, are tons of other ones. You, you hear about them in the news every day. And so that is, I think, the crux of this. If Elon Musk's personality is one that celebrities don't want to interact on a platform that he's building, then you're you're going to lose a lot of the biggest content generators and reasons for being on Twitter, right? Twitter became uh, just a household term because we've got people like Kim Kardashian tweeting out something and stoking up uh, anger or curiosity or fascination or, or what have you. That was the role that Twitter played in all this and, and celebrity as well. And if you get those people leaving Twitter to go to a, an alternative platform, oftentimes you'll see their, their fans and other people follow suit, if not just out of curiosity, out of a legitimate desire to follow and, and kind of stay in, in touch with their celebrities. So we're seeing that happen right now, and it's absolutely fascinating to watch because I see people on Mastodon doing their thing, and I do log back into Twitter. I haven't closed off my account, but I'm not active as of right now, trying to really reduce my <laughs> the time I spend in Twitter because, again, it was never like a really great experience for me, so I didn't love being on social media. But uh, I also am very much not wanting to support people and platforms that I don't believe in. Facebook being another one. I'm, I'm not on Facebook because I don't agree with Mark Zuckerberg's value system. Again, that's what it comes down to for me. This is one of the reasons why I work at Salesforce and I can, I can feel that value system aligns very closely with mine so I can contribute to the goals of the company. If that value system ever does change, then I'll have much difficult, much more difficult time working at the company and I'll probably find new employment. And so that personal value system of mine really is something I try and listen to in terms of what platforms I use, what companies I work for, and how I utilize my time and my talent in the IT space to do good things in the world. It will be massively hypocritical for me to say that I try and be a good person, but I'm okay getting paid a billion dollars to work for a company that is actively damaging society. I'm exaggerating just a little bit here to get my point across, and this feels like a very preachy section of my episode, so I'm going to wrap this up and move on, but my point here is just to explain that I'm trying to be consistent in my behaviors with my belief system, and however you do that for yourself, uh, you may have a different value system than mine, that's totally fine. You're welcome to work for whatever company that you want to or use the platform. And there may be a time when I feel Twitter has moved on and their value system has changed and I'm willing to use the product again. I don't know what the future holds, but uh, just trying to explain my train of thought here and trying to be consistent between my beliefs and my behaviors in my own life. So people are leaving Twitter. Uh, I wouldn't say that there's a mass exodus. There is a hashtag, hashtag Twitter migration. And other things are, are going on. Most of Twitter today seems to be people talking about the death of Twitter. I do think it'll come back. Uh, but again, I don't know the future. 
But if you just look at the numbers, currently Twitter has about 400 million monthly active users on uh, its platform compared to Mastodon, which is only 1 million monthly active users. Now that spiked up tremendously here recently with all the stuff going on on Twitter. And I think that Mastodon becoming an alternative platform to Twitter is going to depend largely on the content and the people that are utilizing that network. So I don't know. It'll be uh, pretty cool to see this thing unfold and see where uh, the future lies. I don't know if uh, a socialized social media platform is a must-have in one's life. I don't know if Twitter is the end game. If you can can't do better than that, or if uh, you know there won't be multiple social media platforms in the future. But I do know that it, that being on Mastodon, it's harder to monetize a person as part of the platform. So. That drives a lot of mass adoption these days is being able to create revenue off of your users. So again, just more aspects I wanted to throw out there to consider uh, as all of the stuff kind of takes place. But back to the technical aspect of Mastodon here. So what's good about a federated social media approach? Well, first off, let's talk about content moderation. Content moderation is done on a per server or per instance basis. So censorship is a big topic of conversation on Twitter. If someone is banned for hate speech, is that a violation of the constitutional right to free speech, for example? Obviously no, but that doesn't stop some people from yelling those types of things angrily and loudly and hoping other people will listen to them. Twitter's a private company. It can do whatever it wants with your tweets. You're basically standing on virtual private land. For the people who think that Twitter needs to allow all speech, then I would argue that it should also be treated like a utility, which means regulated and probably subsidized by the federal government because we know Twitter's not very profitable. If any of those thoughts give you heartburn, then I would seriously reflect on what your belief system is. Is Twitter a private company? Even if it's publicly traded, it's still a private company and it's not owned by the government. And so what one needs to decide is what level of government intervention in Twitter is necessary. Is Twitter so ubiquitous that we need to have government regulation on it and expand government control over private business? Because that is not going to end at Twitter. That's going to open up a whole nother conversation about how the government regulates business in general. Or do you want government out of the business of regulating um, platforms like Twitter, in which case you should allow Twitter to set their own moderation policies. None of this is a problem on Mastodon, which is actually one of the things that I really like about the platform. Now, please accept my apologies for the political flavoring here in this uh, podcast episode. Again, this is not meant to be a judgy or a preachy episode, but when you start talking about speech and value systems here, which I think are really the crux of what's going on with Twitter in popular culture right now, it brings in politics. But this isn't a political podcast. I think that uh, I label myself as a critical thinker, not as part of the left or the right wing, because you know what they say. In order to fly, a bird needs both its left wing and its right wing. And the bird pun here is not actually intended but because that's a real saying, but I think it fits very well when we're talking about Twitter. So anyways, back to Mastodon. If you don't like certain content, then your server admin can block it or ban accounts. Basically, all moderation in the Fediverse is at the server level. So if you don't like a policy, you are free to go to another server at any time and pick up and take your account with you. 
under this model, you could actually have a government-owned servers that are provided to uh, citizens of the nation, right? So America, just like we've got a public library system, we could have public Mastodon systems that people could create accounts on and uh, we could subsidize or run by the government. And those servers could act like public land and have the same freedom of speech regulations that we provide to somebody who would be, for example, just standing in a park, a public park nearby, shouting words into a bullhorn. It, would, it could operate the same thing in a, a virtual world. It solves the, the problem of Iran has different censorship sh rules than America because Iran could run its own server and moderate or restrict content that um, it does not want its population to have access to, and America could do the same. And people who want to tweet things that would get them banned on Twitter because of quote-unquote wokeness could instead toot them and do so on the freedom of, of speech server in America, just like yelling in the town square. And it seems like a win to me. And yes, you can also run your own server and be the only person on it if you want to. You can buy a personal domain name, which I'm actually in the process of uh, setting up right now just to figure out how the Fediverse works better. And then you could associate that domain name to a Mastodon server. And this is actually the only part aside from the signup process where you have to pick a server that I don't really like. It's your username. On Twitter, it acted like one big server. So I was simply at Tweets of Grant. On Mastodon, I am at drydenman at mstdn.social. So the names are longer. You've got two at signs with a username and a domain name in them. And to people on my own server, mstdn.social, I am just at drydenman. They can reference me that way. But to people on other servers, they need my username and the domain name. And that's really crappy in my opinion. Because especially if I were to up and move my account, I did buy dryden.social, so I could be at grant at dryden.social on Mastodon if I wanted to, but then uh, I'm going to change all of the domain name, right? And so I've got to like toot that out, let people know I've migrated, pick my data up and move it. And it's just a complicated process that's way out of the reach of the average person. So that process, maintaining your account and the signup process do actually need a ton of work, I think, for this platform to become uh, widely adopted. But it's on a good start. I, I see potential in the future for upgrades. They just released Mastodon 4.0, which adds some more quality of life features to the platform. And uh, we've got people generating content on it, a growing user base. I like the experience overall, and it doesn't matter to me if it's got 400 million monthly active users or 1 million. The people that I've met there have been great, and that's what I was looking for from Twitter anyways. So I don't really care about all of these other details, but they're important to share because they do matter to a lot of people. At the end of the day, if Twitter were to disappear and Mastodon takes over, I'm cool. But if Twitter also succeeds and Mastodon doesn't, I'm cool with that as well. Um, it's more of a point of interest and fascination right now to see such a massive company like Twitter get bought, taken private, and then for such radical change uh, to come into the company through an individual like Elon Musk. So I'm more just enthralled with watching this story unfold than adopting Mastodon as a platform or, or anything of that nature. So if you've put me in the Mastodon fanboy bucket in your mind, you can take me out of there uh, because it's been a fun platform to play with. I'll stay on there for a while and uh, hope that you know Twitter comes back and I can rejoin that platform at some point in the future. But if not, again, it doesn't really matter to me. I'm just along for the ride at this point in time.
And if you decided to listen to this episode or you've stuck with me this long into the podcast to this point, then you're probably along for the ride as well. So I don't know. I may do another episode on this later if things get crazy. uh, Or maybe I'll just leave it here and move on to other topics. I'm not quite sure yet. We'll see what the future holds. And so on that note, I think I have said I don't know what the future holds enough for one episode. (laughs) I think I've made my point clear there. So I'm just going to wish you all a very happy Thanksgiving uh, or a wonderful week ahead if you're not celebrating Thanksgiving. And in the meantime, what you can do is follow me on TikTok at Dryden Man or come find me on Mastodon at Dryden Man at mstdn.social. If uh, that's too much to remember, just go to grantdryden.com. I've got links uh, available there, and you can find me online. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you will continue to email me, tweet or toot, or send me TikTok videos and uh, engage with me online. Love to chat more, connect with you on LinkedIn, but hope you have a wonderful week ahead, and I will talk to you all again very soon. (music) Thank you.